Well, welcome everybody. Great to see you this weekend. Everybody online, welcome. And everybody over at Montrose, thanks for joining together there. And uh, thanks for gathering. We uh, talked a little bit earlier about a discovery group. And I just want to be sure that that like sticks with you. Uh, so discovery group, if you're newer to Grace, if you feel disconnected in any way at Grace, uh, Discovery Group is there to help with that. So Grace Church is way more than a weekend. Grace is actually a movement of churches. And so we have churches all over Northeast Ohio. We have uh, campuses, churches in other states, even in other countries. And uh, that mission and kind of that vision, if you become a part of Grace, it shows up in your life. And so just kind of getting your head around that a little bit, knowing about it, it's really, really exciting and fun. Uh, we would love to introduce you to that and then also help you to onboard and, and you to just kind of feel at home and know your way around as well. So that's what Discovery is about. So we'll, uh, we'll get lunch for you and we'll watch the kids. That's all on October 1st. And uh, if you hang out with us for a little bit and then we'll, we'll get you moving with that. And I promise you it will be beneficial. If it's not, I will give you a full refund on the money that I did not charge you to come to Discovery Group, so you can have it all back. Uh, but take some time to do that, and I think you'll be, you'll be glad that you did, okay? And if you watch online predominantly, um, then it's a, it's a great time to, uh, to come in and kind of, online is a great supplement, like especially in the summertime, stuff like that, I get it, that we run around a lot. But really being with people and their presence is really God's plan. That's what he means by gather together. So if you haven't like taken that step yet, then maybe discovery can be the, the click for you. So October 1st is when all that, that starts, okay? So we started a series uh, last weekend that we call Breaking the Cycle. And, and uh, we were just talking about this idea of breaking cycles in our lives that are negative, they're painful, they're sinful, they're the frustrating points of our life. It's the parts of our lives where we would look and say, I wish I wasn't like that, or I wish like life didn't work like that. Uh, I'm hurting the people around me, I'm hurting me. This is always like plays out in our family this way. And we look and say, I want to break those cycles for myself, for the people that I love, and for my my family that's, that's around me. I'm passionate about this series uh, for a couple reasons. One is I've seen these cycles uh, broken in my own life, but I am also the product of parents who broke this cycle, and my wife Heidi is a product of parents who broke their, their cycle. So on both sides of our family, tons of addiction, tons of dysfunction, tons of brokenness on my Side, there's a lot of violence, a lot of abandonment. And my mom and dad grew up in that, birds of a feather dysfunction together, so they found each other. And they didn't want us to go through that. They didn't want to live in it, they didn't want to pass it on to their children. And so what they did was they turned to Jesus. And when they turned to Jesus, it changed things. Jesus changed them, they learned to trust Jesus's words, or what we would call the Bible. They got us in a community of people, the Jesus's family, or what we would call the church. And that was a revolutionary thing for them. It affected me, and it affects like our children on, uh, that grew up on both sides. So our children, Heidi and I's children, cannot relate to how Heidi's parents or my parents grew up. It would be completely foreign to them how they grew up. And in just a generation, uh, God broke cycles and changed deeply and completely and brought healing and more health into our family. So we have those, I, those ideas like in our families, and then we have them in our own lives, and God wants to, to set us free of them. So we, last weekend, I just want to revisit this a little bit. Last weekend, we said this, your present is shaped by your past, so that's a big deal, and we kind of have to realize that we have to like start there a little bit, that what happened in my past affects the way that I think and perceive, especially relationships in my present. And we said that's important because your emotional health, your spiritual health are connected. So you cannot be emotionally immature and spiritually mature simultaneously because God makes us a whole person, right? That's all connected. And so in my past, when I have breakdown in my past, 
It affects the way I think. It affects the way that I view relationships. My interaction with God is a relational interaction. So the emotional wounds of my past affect my interaction with God and how I see and interact with him. So that's why we would take time and like dig at this and say, God, I wanna be who you've called me to be. I wanna do what you've called me to do. But I realize that some of these barriers are things I have to work through as I go forward. So we had a long conversation about this last weekend. I would really encourage you, uh, kind of like in bigger ways than I normally would, to, to listen to that, to understand that. Uh, podcast, website, like it's all out there. And uh, it would be worth a listen to kind of go in detail like we did last week with, with those ideas, okay? So we're going on this little bit of a journey, and I wanna, I wanna kind of start... Uh, this journey with you and, and walk you through this. And so uh, I had a friend this week. He's like, hey, really appreciated your, your you know, the conversation we had last week in, in church. I'm like, that's great. He goes, so what are we supposed to do? Are you gonna tell us what to do? I was like, first of all, don't question me. Secondly, uh, <laughs> I, I want to, uh, I do wanna help you with it. So we're gonna talk about some of this this week. We're gonna talk about this week, breaking the cycles of generational sin and how that plays out in your life. So we're gonna look at that. The next week, we're gonna talk about allowing pain to dislodge patterns. Like God actually uses pain. That's part of why he allows it to dislodge some of these patterns in your life. And then we're gonna talk about choices that set you free. We're gonna see the good things God has woven into your story, even if your story is a painful story. And then we're gonna talk about living in truth, all right? So we're gonna kinda of try to start at the beginning. All these conversations cannot be comprehensive. So I know that I'm like opening some things up and you're gonna need some help with it. So we put in two tools uh, in your app and this is also in the weekly if you hit the, hit the uh, QR code on the back of the chair. So one tool is called a geneogram, which I'll tell you more about in a little bit that a genogram helps you to track back things that have happened in your family and wounds in your life. It's a very, very helpful tool. There's a study guide that comes with that, and it's tied to a, an author named John Mark Comer. It's tied to his book called Live No Lies, which I highly recommended even last week. And then the other thing that we provided for you was simply a number to text, and that's in the, in the notes and on the QR code also. Uh, and if you come out of the conversation this week and you're like, I gotta talk to somebody like now, text us and we will respond to it and the pastors and the spiritual leaders here, we wanna be there for you in any way that we, we can because we're gonna talk about some sensitive things here as we go through. So those are two things. The geneogram takes a minute. Like you're gonna, you're gonna have to like work at that but it's a really helpful tool and then the texting is just a way that we can, we can be there so that you're not like out there on an island if something opens up, okay? So let's look at this. How do, how do we deal with the, the dysfunction, the sin, the brokenness that, that embeds itself into the family tree? So we're gonna kind of set up shop in a passage in Exodus chapter 34, okay? Exodus chapter 34 is where we're gonna hang out. So you got your Bibles, open your phones up. And Exodus chapter 34 is a really interesting part of the Bible because God is describing himself in Exodus chapter 34. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna teach you this passage backwards. So I'm gonna teach you the, the end of it first and then we're gonna go back and I'm gonna show you the beginning of it, okay? So the, the Exodus 34 says this, God refers to himself, Yahweh the Lord, and then he describes himself. He says, I'm the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Ready? This is the end of it. But I do not excuse the guilty. And then he says this. He says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even grandchildren in the third and the fourth generation. So God says, I am merciful, I'm compassionate, I'm full of love and faithfulness, but I, I cannot turn to blind eye to sin. I'm also just and righteous and holy, like sin has to be dealt with. And I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren, the entire family is affected, even children to the third and the fourth 
generation. So let's look at this because that's confusing. There, I could talk to you for an hour about cultural context, language translation context, all those kind of things. But let me just show you this so we can frame it up what God's saying. So let me start by showing you what he's not saying. Okay, so when you read that, God is not saying that children are responsible for their parents' sin. It's not what he's saying here. So the other parts of the Bible would be very clear that each of us have our own will, our own what the Bible calls a sin nature, and each of us will give a personal account to God for our life. So I as a father, I, Heidi and I have six children, I and Heidi, I am not responsible for my, parent, for my children's sin, and they are not responsible for mine. They have their own free will, I have my own free will. So God is not saying that you got blame because of who your mom was or who your dad was. He is also not saying that family names are cursed. He's not like, you know, those Smiths, everybody knows what the Smiths are like, and if you're a Smith, you're always, there is no such thing as like a family curse that God is talking about. He is also not saying that if you raise your kids the right way, they will not sin. So there, there is no parenting formula in the Bible. That's a falsehood. Anybody who writes a book that says there is one is lying. Uh, the Bible, if you look at the Bible, uh, the, the, the perfect father is our heavenly father, and he has the most rebellious children. So I could point to you wonderful parents who have rebellious children. I could point out to you horrible parents who have Christ-centered children. So God interacts with us individually. He does not hold us accountable for each other's sin. That's not what he's saying. What God is saying is this. He's saying the effects of sin go from generation to generation to generation. And when we start to understand that, it's, it's, it really starts to unlock some of the things that are causing cycles in our own lives. And when, when you see that God says that the effects of sin go from generation to generation to generation, some of us are like, boy, do I know that. Boy, do I know that. So I looked into my dad's, uh, actually my mom's family, and when I looked at my mom's family, you go back a few generations, it was fascinating. Uh, my great-great-great-grandfather was a federal judge. There was actually a lot of wealth in the family. He was a federal judge. He actually was a part of developing the legislation for the Veterans Affairs Act after World War I. His children got involved, they married, and they married into brokenness and alcoholism. And when my grandfather brought brokenness and alcoholism into my grandmother's life, that brokenness and that alcoholism started there and then it affected my mother. And then it affected me, right? And if mom and dad had not broken the cycle, it would have affected their grandchildren because other people in my family, like my, my mother's siblings, did not interact with Christ, and that is still running rampant on that side of the family. So that's what God is saying. The sins of the, of the parents affect generation after generation after generation, and many of us would say, yep, I know, because grandpa was mad, dad was mad, I'm mad. Grandpa was addicted, dad was addicted, I struggle, I'm trying to break addiction. Dysfunction, 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 and it moves through the family tree. Why? Because families create norms, habits, responses, and values. And those norms, habits, responses, and values become for us normal. They become home. So if your dad jumped up and screamed at the television whenever the Browns threw an interception, you're gonna jump up and scream at the television. You got it from somewhere. It's how you watch a football game. If your family, every time they, if your family holds grudges and grandma hasn't talked to you since last Christmas 
And you tend to have that same pattern in your life because that's how the family works. And you could just go on and on and on and on. By the way, this works in a positive way as well. When my, when my parents and Heidi's parents broke the cycles, now following Jesus is a norm, a habit, a value in our family. And all God is saying is this, he's like sin has massive effects, not just on you, but it has effects down through the generations and we have to recognize that, that that comes from somewhere and by recognizing that, it allows us then to lean into it so that we can be a part of breaking the cycle. So what I wanna do this weekend is I, I wanna answer my friend's question and that way he'll quit bugging me about it. So when he says, you're gonna help us out, I'm like, I'm gonna give you two, I'm gonna give you some steps. So I'm gonna give you two steps this weekend. They are both doable and they're not wildly complicated, but for some of you, they're gonna be incredibly painful. And some of you, it's gonna be incredibly difficult to do it. In fact, I would argue for all of us, it's incredibly difficult, incredibly painful in one way or another in our life. So I'm gonna give you two things. These two things are not comprehensive. We're gonna talk about all this for a few more weeks. So it's not comprehensive, but it's a starting point. When my buddy was like, are you gonna tell us where to start? I'm like, I'm telling you, right? So this is where we're gonna start. And it's gonna position us such a way in our relationship with God that we can start to lean into some of this generational stuff and we can start to see some freedom and dislodge in those cycles in our lives, okay? So here's the first one. The first thing that we do when we start to break these cycles, remember this is just a starting point, but the first thing we do, I actually think this is probably the hardest thing to do. But the first thing we do when we start to, to break cycles is we choose to trust the unfamiliar. We choose to trust the unfamiliar. This is what happens, this is what happens. Pain, anxiety, grief, dysfunction, addiction, you, you kind of fill in your blank, whatever your cycle is. All of that can become familiar to us because it's, what, it's the norm, the habit, the response, and the values that we grew up in and that we understand that we've lived life in. Even though we hate it, it feels like home. Uh, when Heidi and I first got married, we were so poor, like we didn't have anything. And we had just started at the church and the church was so little. And so we're just kind of trying to survive a little bit. So we just got married and we got a house. We used to, we lived over in Barberton and we got a house and we were, we were trying to like furnish the house a little bit. So we didn't have a bedroom set. So somehow that came out in a class I was teaching that we didn't have a bedroom set. And after the class, a, a guy came up to me and he goes, hey, he goes, I think I can help you with the bedroom set. He goes, I, I, I know about this one from this family relative and it's a dresser and a chest of drawers and a bed and it's got a bed post and a mattress and a box spring. So he said, I'll give it to you all for a hundred bucks. A hundred bucks? He's like, yeah. He's like, I just want to... I just want to bless you with it. It says 100 bucks. I'm like, 100 bucks for a whole room furniture? That would be amazing. He goes, yeah, there's a thing, though. There's a thing, though. And I was like, what's the thing? He goes, well, somebody died on the mattress. <laughs> and he's like, so you should just, like, know that. Like, the mattress, somebody died on it. I was like but it's a hundred bucks, right? He's like, yeah. And I was like, I'll take it. So, so we brought this mattress and this box spring to our house and we set it up and I know somebody died on it, but you know, it was fairly clean. And so I like, I, we were thrilled about it. So we, we started, Heidi and I started sleeping on this mattress. Well, this mattress was like the world's cheapest mattress, right? And it was miserable to sleep on it. So I have a, I have a pretty bad back and this mattress just like tormented my back. And I would wake up every day with like a sore back, a headache, a sore neck. It was just miserable to sleep on, on this mattress. And we always said, we're gonna replace the mattress, but we, it, we're too poor to do it. And then you're like, I'm gonna replace the mattress, and then you have kids, and they take all your stuff, so you can't do anything with that. So it was like 10 years that we, we slept on this slightly used mattress, right? Finally, we got, I finally, I was like, honey, we can't, I can't do this anymore. So we finally got a new mattress and we got the new mattress and it was the right firmness and the right softness and everything and it was better for my back, but this was what was weird. When I had the bad mattress, I would travel, like speak or something like that, come in late at night. You've been away from home, you sleep in a hotel, all that kind of stuff. 
I would lay down on that mattress that made me miserable and that mattress felt like home. And when we got the new mattress, I wouldn't wake up with a headache and I wouldn't wake up with a sore back but I wouldn't sleep good because I didn't feel at home. It took me months for that new thing, the healthy thing, the good thing, to feel like the right thing in my life. You with me? We build a home in our dysfunction, and it's not because we're being willful about it. It's because it's what we know. So to get out of that dysfunction, we have to be willing to trust something that we're unfamiliar with, even if it's the good thing, the right thing, and the best thing. Now, this is what happens in our relationship with God. God comes, we have dysfunction junction. God shows up, he's like, I got something better for you. I got freedom for you. I got forgiveness for you. I got cycle breaking for you. I've got health for you. And we'll look at what God wants to offer us and we'll look and say, I don't understand that. I'm unfamiliar with it. I understand this, but I don't understand that. And living over there intimidates me, scares me. It's so unfamiliar to me. But to start, catch the word start, to start breaking the cycle, there's a point where we're going to have to trust what God says even knowing that what God says is unfamiliar. Now, I watched this happen with my mom and dad. Think of the homes that they would have been raised in. And I watched my mom and dad, before they were healed from the pain of their past, and before they had any kind of wise counsel, I watched them simply trust and do what God said because it's all they had to work with and they had to start somewhere. Now I'm gonna say this. What I'm about to say is the most controversial thing I'll say all weekend. Okay, this is, this'll probably blow up somewhere, but here it is, right? Here it is. We do not have to fully understand our pain to change our response to it. We do not have to fully understand our pain to change our response to it. And when you are starting to break cycles, if you can choose to trust what God says and trust his basic direction in your life, you don't have to understand your childhood. You're gonna see here in a minute, I'm gonna encourage you to do that. You don't have to understand your lies. You don't have to understand your dysfunction to be obedient and to trust what God says. And sometimes that is just the starting point it's where we start. And when you go through scripture, you'll see this in scripture. So God helps us with this through the Bible. Let me show you an example of this. You'll, you'll come across these lists in the Bible, and God's like, do this, 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 and this, and this. He, he's not saying don't know him. He's not saying don't be healed by him. He's not saying don't be, be transformed by him. What he's saying is, you never knew this. You've never experienced this. So we can start here. So there's an example of this in the book of Ephesians. This is like one of those lists. So God says this, don't let, the, don't let uh, anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now if you grew up in an angry home and grandpa was angry and dad was angry and mom was angry and you struggle with anger and that's all you know, and that is your, your mattress, that is what is home for you, it's all that you know. It's the only way that you know how to process emotions. And you look around and you say, I'm ruining my friendships, I'm losing my jobs, I'm destroying my marriage, I'm hurting my children, I wanna break this cycle. Where do I, st where do I start? God would say, well, why don't you start by stopping? What do you even mean? Well, here's something for you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And for some of us, that, it, that action is a revolutionary action. Because when dad was mad at you, he wouldn't talk to you for two weeks. When grandma's mad at you, she won't return your text. So something as simple of 
I've never, if I'm mad, I've like never worried about going to bed mad. That's just what we do. If you said, I'm gonna try, it doesn't make sense to me, it's unfamiliar to me, I'm just going to trust it. How much could your relationships change this weekend by simply saying, I'm going to do what God says and make sure that there's peace in my home before we all fall asleep? You don't have to understand your childhood. You're gonna see I want you to. You don't have to get your head around by putting a simple action in. Just simply trusting what God says. And we're just gonna figure, I'm gonna gonna stop that, break that, introduce this habit to counter the one I'm used to as I am seeking healing in the source of the issue. Paul goes on in Ephesians, get rid of all bitterness, anger, rage, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God for, for in, uh, just, just as God through Christ forgave you. How much would your, your relationships change this weekend if you said, I am bitter, I'm angry, and I talk bad about somebody in my family, and I'm just going to not do that. My sister hasn't called me, I'm not calling her. What if you just called her? So this is a, this is a starting point. Where we sometimes, sometimes with God's word, when all of that is unfamiliar, when none of that has has been shown to you as an example in life. You just say, I'm going to start here. My dad grew up in a horrible home and he worked at a factory. What kind of language do you think he heard his whole life? What What kind of words do you think he heard? So my dad read a passage like this, actually the same one in Hebrews, it says, there should be no foul language that comes out of you. So my dad died when I was 37. For the 37 years I lived with my dad, I never heard him say a curse word one time. Why? Because my dad, my dad has simple faith. He's like, well, the book says don't do that. That's what I know to do right now. He didn't know about the mouth being over a flow of the heart. He didn't have conversations about the cultural uses of language. He's like, well, God said don't, so I'm just not going to do that. How much change was introduced into his family line by him simply following that one instruction from God? One that he did not grow up with. One that he did not work in 10 hours a day. But one that he made sure when he came home was not a part of his life. See how that works? We don't have to understand our past to change our responses. And when we're talking about breaking a cycle, there's a point where we are simply trusting that what we were learning, what we were never exposed to, what we never saw lived out, is actually what God says and what he wants. And so I'm gonna go with it. And it's a starting point in our process, okay? Now here's the second one. I can start by trusting the unfamiliar, so the familiar, and I start, and then simultaneously, not instead of, simultaneously, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna try to find the root of what's driving that cycle in me. And I wanna try to figure out where that came from and how that became such a part of my Life. Jesus talks about roots a lot. He uses them as metaphors. So he talks about the gospel and how it can fall on good soil, but thorns can choke it up at the roots. And then later on, he's talking about judgment. He says, I have an ax ready to go to the root that anything that is, that is not praiseworthy or is a bad fruit, I'm gonna cut it out and I'm gonna pull it out by the root. So going after the roots of this generational sin, of these habits, these values, these norms, and figuring out where that came from is a huge part of of what we want to do 
to break the cycle. This is what happens with roots. Roots form because of lies that have been sown into your life. In a long life, maybe from your family, maybe from your abuser, maybe from whoever, you have encountered a lie, multiple. And if you look at the cycle in your life, and you ask the Holy Spirit, and maybe a, count, a good Christian counselor, if you ask for, and you go looking for that root, what you're gonna find, if you backtrack that, you're gonna find that there's a root of a lie. You will be happier if you live independently from God is the root of a lie that you have believed. You are your body, that is why you struggle with your identity or you're promiscuous sexually, because you heard a lie and you believed it. You have to perform because dad would show up and cheer for you on the football field but wouldn't care about the rest of your life. And if you go back and you find that root, if God will help you find that root, there is freedom that comes from pulling that root. Let me give you an example of this. Um, One of the things that I have struggled a lot in my life uh, over the years is insecurity and pride insecurity and pride, and it always drove me nuts. You know, it always drove me nuts. And I never really knew why, and, and probably about mm, 25 years ago, it kind of boiled up. Heidi and I were fighting about stuff. She was like, you're just prideful. Kind of opened my mind up to trying to explain this and understand it more. And so I wanted to do something with it. So the Bible says, pride cometh before the fall. Humble yourself beside the Lord. And so I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna trust what I am unfamiliar with. So I'm just gonna like work on this. When I decided to trust with what I'm unfamiliar with, it took me on a journey to find the root of why that was such an issue in my life. So I actually went to counseling with, uh, sitting down with Pastor Bob Combs. And so I sit down with Pastor Bob and I'm talking to him about all this. He started talking to me about this idea of like your past shapes your present, your childhood, all this kind of stuff. And he's like, Jeff, was there ever anything in your childhood that you remember being introduced that, that could have been a lie? He, my words, not his, but could have affected all of this. And I remembered something. I remembered an incident very clear in my childhood when I was in the eighth grade when my science teacher, it's a long story, but my science teacher, I bumped into him on the landing of a, of a stairwell. I had a pass, I was going back to class, I went up the stairs, there's a landing before you go up the stairs. We ran into each other, he grabbed my arm because he thought I cheated at something and he said, he said, I know what you did, I know how you are and you will never amount to anything and he shook my arm, just the two of us. And then he let me go, he went on his way and I went up to class. My dad had just got sick, my life had just blown up, my family was in turmoil, and I was 12. So that root of a lie lodged in my brain and in my heart. And this is what I thought. I thought to myself, I remember thinking this as a little kid once I investigated this, I remember thinking what I have to do in order to be loved is I have to perform at such a high level that you have no choice but to love me. And if I can perform at such a high level, you're gonna have to be my friend, you're gonna have to keep me in your life, and you're ultimately gonna have to love me because I'm gonna so impress you that you're kind of awestruck by who I am. And I I form that as a basis of my relationships. That means a bunch of things. It means that you need to know how awesome I am. So I became braggadocious. It means that I can't be less than you, so I became prideful. It means that I have to perform at a high level, so I became a performer, whether it was sincere or not. Uh, It means that if you criticized me or were critical to me, you didn't love me, so I took that as an attack instead of an act of love. It's a very isolating thing, deep insecurity. It means that I would do something like preach a sermon and then go home and think about what you thought about it the rest of the day. And about 25 years ago, I was like, I cannot do this, especially when one of the ways I serve the Lord is up front of people. I mean, I can't do this. It's, it's like, it's driving me crazy. 
So I started to chase this root back. And when I started to chase this root back, I remember that wound. And I realized how much that wound had shaped everything. And that wound, I was frustrated with Heidi in our marriage because she wasn't awestruck with me. I was doing things in the name of ministry to impress people instead of serve the Lord. And I was in a constant state of being found out. I felt that insecurity. If you found out what I really struggled with, what, I, what my weaknesses really are, well, then I won't impress you, and then you won't be. And I, I remember those years, I, was, I come into church, I was shocked anybody showed up. And I, this is how I would feel. One more week, and they didn't find me out. They didn't find out how insecure I am, or that I might not know something, or I might not know an answer. And that lie drove my life and created a cycle of performance, and it would have created a cycle of performance in my marriage, in the church, and then ultimately in our children if God hadn't interrupted it. Now, that's one of mine. You just fill yours in. There's a, there's a lie about what your body is and who it belongs to. There's a lie about materialism. There's a lie about self-worth. There's a lie about, because all this is relational, it plays into my relationship with God. I gotta impress God, right? God needs to need me. God, it's a good thing I showed up in Akron and now I'm not worshiping or following or loving or enjoying my relationship with God. I'm trying to stay so above the water so he doesn't walk away from me. So there's, a, there's a lie. There's a secret. There's a thing. There's a norm. There's a habit. And you're immersed in it. And it has driven your life. And it feeds the cycle. And it's familiar and if I'm gonna break that cycle, I have to be willing to trust that for me, trust was very unfamiliar because I have to perform. So I, I can't trust you to love me, I gotta earn it. So trust is very unfamiliar. So I have to trust the unfamiliar and then allow God to take me back to that root, expose that lie, and pull it out of my life so that I can begin to live in the freedom that he's called me to live, right? Now, I want you to see this, okay? Exodus 34, remember I said we started at the end. So the end is, I cannot excuse your sin. Sin affects generation upon generation upon generation. And many of us are like, I know. But now I want to take you back to the beginning of the passage, right? So this, remember the beginning of the passage this is what God says about himself. I'm Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I, give, I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. As I find the root the answer or the path to pull that root off out of me is not to look and say, sin generation upon generation, I am this root. That's just believing another lie. I'm trusting the unfamiliar. And the unfamiliar for many of us about God is that there's a God of compassion and mercy who, ha who loves us and is faithful and wants to lavish that love on us and it's unfamiliar to us because if I said to you, God does not excuse sin and sin affects generation upon generation, most of us would say, yep, I totally believe that. If I said to you, a God who is righteous and just and holy is also a God who is equally compassionate, merciful, loving, and faithful, that would start to short circuit us. And you cannot break a cycle until you start to trust that this compassionate God who is also holy and just, this God that has to have sin dealt with he dealt with it so that you don't have to. 
and it's his compassion, his mercy, his love, and his faithfulness. This is the gospel, this is what Christ did. And it was terribly difficult for me to trust that Christ dealt with the lies and all of the sin that was a part of my life and that my response to God is rooted in his mercy and his compassion, his love and his faithfulness, not me trying to outperform my sin. And when we start to get a full view of God, it starts to dislodge these cycles and we start to live differently. When I started to understand that God had compassion on me, that God was heartbroken about what that science teacher did to me, to a little kid, when God was merciful toward me, that he saw my anxiety, he saw my insecurity, and he knew that my pride and my arrogance was a mask for all of that that he loved me and he was faithful. He was committed to me as I took a journey to him, so to say. When I started to trust that, I started to change. This is what happened. I realized if God is compassionate and merciful, faithful and loving, I realize I don't have to fake it for you because God already knows what I'm like and has chosen to love me in it. I don't have to perform because I don't have to perform for him. He would look at me and say, you're broken, you're sinful. I want to, for I forgive the iniquity, I forgive the rebellion. You and I can tie together. And when I got secure in my relationship with Christ, I got secure in my relationship with the people around me. Because if the creator who is holy and just and righteous has chosen to give me compassion, mercy, love, and faithfulness, if he's made that choice, what do I care what you think? And it started to change because I started to believe what God said about his relationship with me instead of the lie that said, I'll never equal out or be up to what God says. When I started to rest in what God says, I found that I could become a truth teller because Jesus already knows the worst about me. I would always exaggerate and I, I was always boastful because I was afraid to death you wouldn't know how awesome I was. Well, Once I realized that Jesus already knows my deepest secrets, all of my shortcomings, all my failures and all my insecurities and he accepts me, why do I need to lie to you about it? I can just, in fact, it, it, it is so freeing to not be a liar. Like when I look at you and say, your pastor's an idiot, boy, I just sleep well tonight because you're not gonna be shocked when I act like one. See? It pulls all the pressure off because I'm resting in who Christ is and what he has done for me. I can flee a life of sin because he has fulfilled the areas of my life that drew me to it when I'm fully accepted in Christ and I rest it and trust it, I don't need to be prideful. I don't need to be braggadocious. I can, what Paul says, I can boast in him. I don't need to boast in Jeff. And the things that drew me to sin have been satisfied through Christ because of who he is. And when I start to rest in that and I start to build life in that, it starts to bring freedom to my life. Now this is, this is what happens. Where this gets wildly difficult is when it runs into our pain and it runs into our past and it runs into our anxiety and it runs into the lies of our addiction. So what happens is this, is in my pain, because of my hurt, Jesus' direction feels like control. Don't be angry, stop stealing, don't let the sun go, feels like control. Well, the last person who tried to control me was my mom. And she did this and this and this and this. So I don't want anybody telling me what to do. So I have to trust the unfamiliar 
and I have to trust the character of God because it's not my mom telling me what to do. It's a compassionate, merciful, loving, faithful God who's trying to steer me away from the things that cause pain in my life. Because of my hurt, Jesus' honesty feels like an attack. You're a sinner and you need a savior. You're rebellious and you need to come back and be submissive to me. Well, that just sounds, my dad, you're this and you're that. Not only that, you're dumb. And not only that, I never wanted you. And not only that, you're not worth child support. Not only that, so it feels like an attack. So I have to trust the unfamiliar that that's not an attack from accusatory father. It's a compassionate, merciful, loving, faithful God who's being honest with me about what's driving the pain in my relationships and the cycles in my life. Because of my hurt, authority feels like a threat. You need to submit yourself to, to, the, to the definition of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Well, the last person, the coach who abused me said I needed to do what they say and not tell anybody. And so I have to trust the unfamiliar. And he, I'm not, that is not, that's a lie. It's not them. It's God who is compassionate, merciful, loving, and faithful. See how it works? This is the most difficult part. The most difficult part is to sit back and say, I am actually going to choose to believe this. If I said you're screwed up and you screwed your life up and God's gonna send you to hell, almost everyone would be like, yeah, that's kind of the way that works. If I said he's compassionate, merciful, loving, and unfaithful because you're broken and because you're sinful, he gave his only son and Christ laid his life down on the cross to set you free of it. In my pain, I have a terrible time accepting that truth. So trusting the unfamiliar kind of sounds easy peasy, it's horribly difficult. Chasing that root down sounds kind of easy peasy. It's amazingly painful. But it starts the process of setting us free. If I could get you to remember one thing this weekend, like if you were gonna get a tattoo this weekend, this is what I want you to remember, okay? It's simple, but it's life-changing. Ready? Jesus is not out to get you, he's out to free you. And when you hear him give a direction and it feels like he's trying to control me, he's trying to hurt me, every time, every time somebody tells me to do something, they're after me, it's those lies. You're looking and saying, Jesus is not out to get me, he's trying to free me. This is a loving, merciful, compassionate, faithful God. He's just trying to tell me what I need to know. This is so painful over here. This is the part of my life that I do not want to remember. Why would you bring it up? I went to church to be encouraged. I can't believe it. Jesus loves me. He's not out to get me. He's out to free me. He's taking me to this place so that he can break the hold of this place on my life. And a loving, compassionate, merciful, faithful God knows that the sin that has been around you will affect you for generations. The sin that you bring into your life and the pain that you bring into your life will affect people around you for generations. And he looks at you and says, I came to set you free. I wanna give you life and I wanna give you life to the fullest and this is what he means by it. I want you to be free from pain. I, I want you to be free from torment. I want you to have a vision and a hope and a future. And we need to put the ax to the root of this. I'll help you, I'm with you. I want to lavish my love upon you and cleanse you, free you from rebellion, sin, inequity. I wanna break the cycles in your life.
I'm going to ask the band to come out and um, maybe just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And I encourage you guys, I, I really want you to take this time. Like, there's like 11 minutes left in service. And I just want you to be still. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. So use the songs as a prayer. Use them as a, as a praise and celebration. But like, we're just not still in life. And so just chill for a minute. Right, and let's just let's just start by praying. So why don't like why don't you literally like take a deep breath? A lot that we downloaded this weekend. Say hi to Jesus. Invite the Holy Spirit to to work in your heart in these moments. What the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and presses it into our hearts, to the nuances of our life. And I want to I invite you to pray a very simple but a very powerful prayer. So whatever the cycle is, anxiety, depression, addiction, anger, grief, I mean, just fill it in. Right? Just ask the Lord to, to bring one, one of the cycles to your mind and give it a name. Got it? Got it? Okay, here's the prayer. Very simple prayer. I encourage you to pray, Jesus, would you change me? Jesus, I'm fearful. Would you change me? Jesus, I'm insecure. Would you change me? Jesus, I'm addicted. Would you change me? Jesus, I'm great. Whatever it is, Jesus, would you change me? Would you heal me? Would you make me who you've called me to be? Jesus, these are big conversations. They have massive ramifications. And God, everything from grief to rebellion, Lord, thank you that you are compassionate and merciful, that you look at us and you love us and you came to free us and to forgive us. So God, when we turn to you with the repentance of sin or with handing you our, our heavy burdens, thank you that when we turn to you, you're already with us, you're already ready, you've already chosen to forgive when we ask and help when we need. And God, would you help us even in these still moments to rest in that? Would you begin to change us? even now.